Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. And now, here's our host for Amda on the Go, Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for yet another Amda on the Go. Today, we're going to be talking about variants, vaccines, boosters, and more. And I am joined by t- with two juggernauts to titans of post-acute long-term care medicine, um, Drs. Swati Gar and Dr. Leslie Eber. And I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves. And um, Leslie, I'll start with you. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Diane, for having me. I'm Dr. Leslie Eber. I'm a medical director and physician in Colorado. And Swati? Thanks for having me, Diane. Um, I'm Swati Gar. I um, was a part of the COVID task force with AMDA and um, was um, chair of infection advisory committee with AMDA as well. Um, and I'm happy to be on your podcast again. Yeah, and you guys are no strangers to AMDA on the go, Geriatric Journal Club, but we have had uh, probably a thousand and one conversations since uh, March of 2020. I am very happy to have both of you here. And we we know we have a lot to talk about. It is kind of one of those things where we are always checking in and touching base on what's happening with COVID. And I'm just very excited because we do have so much information to share with everyone. Swati, so I, I really want to start with you. And if you could explain to us what's happening um, with the variant world, like everyday new variant, um, and how that's maybe impacting our staff and our residents' decisions to um, um, not only become vaccinated, but get the booster. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot has been happening in the variant world. I'm sure everyone has been listening to the news. Uh, well, since the last time we talked, we have gone from Delta variant that we were so worried about to many cycles of, um, you know, rinse and repeat of um, our um, Omicron variant. And currently what is happening is, um, uh, you know, we had that big surge of Omicron, the original Omicron um, in January timeframe. And then, um, you know, since then, we have had the BA 2.12.1 variant that we have been a little concerned about, uh, because it did trend the hospitalizations up. Um, And now, um, we are seeing 
BA5 variant, which was, um, you know, also um, has made its um, turn in the global stage. And um, we are seeing that more and more to the point where now uh, BA5 variant has actually taken over. It's 52% of total United States, um, um, you know, COVID uh, variant uh, proportions. And uh, what is important, you know, when we talk about these variants is, you know, as the virus gets smarter and uh, the variants keep coming, we need to get smarter with it. So we now not only have you know, all this information about variant, but since the variants have been around for so long, the Omicron ones, we also have a good amount of data that is coming up. And the data that is the most compelling, if we had one thing to take home, is this message that if you do get your, if you have had your original primary um, series, and if you think that you um, are protected against the Omicron variant, any of the subvariants, that is not the case if you are ready for a booster and you didn't take the booster, your immunity against the Omicron variant is so low that you are not very well protected. So the point here is, as we are going through the fifth, third or fourth cycle of these Omicron variants, we really need to give the boosters to our staff and our residents to keep them from being hospitalized and dying um, and to keep them safe. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm curious as to something that you stated. So if you had um, the Omicron variant and you've now you've been, you were vaccinated and you were boosted and you still um, had the Omicron variant, what do you need to do? And um, Leslie, maybe I'll have you weigh in here um, and, and just explain that to me because I'm, I think that's what a lot of us are trying to understand. So Diane, I think that that's a fantastic question. So if you've, let me pose two scenarios. If you've had your primary vaccination and then unfortunately you got COVID-19 and you think, oh, I'm protected, I don't need a booster. Indeed you do. We have compelling data that shows if you had the original vaccination series and then infection, that's not enough. You're not protected enough. And so you really do need a booster. If you've had your uh, vaccination and then you had a booster, and then unfortunately you had a COVID-19 infection and you're over 50 years old or you're moderately to severely immunosuppressed, you can get a second booster and you should because we now have incredible data from both Israel and from the CDC that shows that second booster indeed does make a remarkable distance uh, difference. And you can decrease your risk of hospitalization and death and long COVID. So it's well worth it to get any booster that you're eligible for. It's not worth the risk. So it's important to do. So tell me both um, of you, I, I'm curious, what are you doing with the, your residents in your facilities now? Um, are they having, if they've already received the first booster, are you giving them a second booster? And Swati, why don't I have you take that first? Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, 
what we are doing actually is what we are seeing here, um, Diane, right now is our staff who is living in the community and may have not been boosted at the same rates as the residents, um, are, we are starting to see our staff uh, testing positive. And what we have done in our nursing home is our strategy has always been, um, you know, the typical infection control strategy for off source control and everything. But in addition, our biggest strategy has been to get our residents up to date vaccinated. And the new CDC definition for up-to-date vaccination includes that second booster. If you are immunocompromised or if you are above 55, 50 years of age. So again, 50 years of age and above. So what we are doing um, is as soon as we started seeing the spike, we have that sense of urgency where we have looked at every single resident and gotten them up to date. In fact, that is happening today because that has been our biggest strategy. And the reason for that, um, Diane, is if you look at the MMWR from CDC, they actually showed the data from earlier in the year when the first wave of Omicron was coming in. And what it showed is that, you know, compared to people who had only received the primary series, the people who had received in facilities where people had received boosters, the difference in the number of new cases was exactly half. So basically what you saw is that the rate of infection with only primary series was five per thousand resident weeks which got cut down to 2.6 um, per thousand resident weeks. And so I'm not just talking about the hospitalization and death, although that is a huge advantage, actually on a bigger magnitude than having the infection, but even the magnitude of your outbreak is going to get limited if your people are up to date vaccinated. So, it, 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 Leslie, are you guys taking the same approach at Colorado? Yeah, we are really pushing our vaccination and having everybody to be up to date. So for our residents, we're having a lot of success. And I'm referring people to that JAMA article on June 23rd um, that shows the Israeli data, again, with residents in post-acute and long-term care. We never get studied, but this was a study about our residents. And again, just like Swati said, we are seeing a remarkable difference for those residents who get their second booster, their decrease in infection, in hospitalization, severe disease and death. It is remarkably diminished. So our strategy in Colorado is to definitely educate our residents and our family members, and then have almost a separate education for our staff, really explaining why that booster shot, whether you are eligible for the one booster or the two booster, really not only protects you and your family, but our residents as well. And so we have another a number of strategies in terms of education and promoting boosters. So I think the most common question that I've been asked around boosters is what about the side effects? Um, how do you, how are you both addressing that with your staff? Because I'm very curious. We see we, we've um, had resistance among 
um, our our nursing staff and the, the facility um, staff um, overall in being boosted because they're worried about uh, the the side effects from the booster. Some people are still worried about the second dose of the vaccine <laughs> side effects. So, what do you? What is the message there? Um, so, why do you laugh first, or you get to say you get to say <laughs> That's uh, well, I laughed because you know that is such a common question, and you know we sat, see that all the time. And the answer to that is I show them the data, and um, you know again I will refer back to the MMWR article. Um, that CDC had published a while back. And actually what it showed is that um, when, compare, when you compare the boosters to the primary series on the side effects, any injection site side effects or the local side effects are the boosters were actually lower than the first and second shot. So boosters side effects are lower when it comes to local side effects. As far as the systemic side effects like fevers or body aches and other systemic side effects, they were much lower than the second shot. I know everybody remembers that second shot. And, you know, it makes sense, right? It makes sense scientifically because we did a one-two punch and that second um, time, our immunity got really revved up, which was actually a good thing that yes, you felt it. But since you know we are so far from the second one with the booster, the side effects you know, theoretically should be much lower. And that's exactly what has panned out in the studies as well. And the third thing that really matters to our staff is their ability to work. And what, uh, again, from that MMWR article, the, you know, uh, your ability to work was the lowest, you know, after you took the second shot, because you didn't feel good, you probably had fever, you probably had chills. But again, on the boosters, it's much, much lower that uh, effect on being able to work is much, much lower. So in other words, Staff needs to know that if they did have a poor side effect, um, uh, you know, experience on the second shot, they are unlikely to have that kind of experience with boosters. And that has panned out in, you know, among our staff in our facility as well. Yeah. And Leslie, well, yeah, what do you, what do you do when you hear that question? <laughs> Yeah, I get that question quite a bit, but now in now July 1st in 2022, we have so many of our staff members who have taken that booster. So we're using actually personal testimonials. Oh, I got the booster and it was better. I did have less side effects. It wasn't like my second uh, messenger RNA vaccination. It was so much better. So now both staff and residents are talking to one another and sharing those experiences. And that's a powerful testimonial that is really reassuring to both staff and residents. So let me ask, you know, I think that, what is it? It's 2022 and people are, we're just, we're, I, we're probably all experiencing the fatigue of talking about COVID, yeah. um, talking about vaccinations. Uh, I'm I'm just curious when we're as we're trying to message the 
the worthiness of being boosted with the first booster or the second booster? How do you get around the, the messaging fatigue? Uh, um, Leslie, yeah, take it, take it, please. <laughs> this is a, a passion of mine. So one of the latest strategies that I am working on in terms of messaging is to let people know that the boosters are not optional. I think there's many people are saying, well, I could get the booster, I couldn't. But really, we have many vaccination series that are a series of three or more. Um, and we never say with the uh, measles vaccination or with hepatitis B, oh, I'm going to skip that third shot. We don't really need it. So we're having conversations that right now this is what is needed to be up to date to have the full series. And so I don't want people to see this as an option, but as necessary. It's necessary for us to get boosted in order to protect ourselves and our community. And so I think that switching that paradigm has been important in the mindset of how people view boosters. Yeah, I think that's some good logic because it, that's probably been one of the bigger frustrations for me. I'm like, I don't think you guys, we, we didn't ask questions when we had to go get our hep, um, hep B series or all these other um, things that we've done and in the medical field, you know how many shots, I can't even remember how many shots and vaccinations you have to prove before going into school, let alone going into a hospital or a nursing facility. So it is interesting to see that. Um, I think that the approach that we've, maybe now that we're taking is, is better than what we saw initially when this came out and everyone was having these conversations and not just saying, this is why you're doing it. You're just, yeah. Am I off base with that? Or yeah, no. I I think um, you're absolutely correct. And you know, um, there is a NEJM article um, that I can actually we can uh, make available with the podcast. But it has such a powerful graphic where uh, this article shows the amount of neutralizing antibodies that you have against Omicron with the primary series. Um, so it's the primary series against Delta and Omicron. And what it shows is that when you take the primary series, you have a pretty darn good uh, anti-neutral, uh, uh, you're, you have a pretty darn good neutralizing antibody titer against Delta, and you have a decent neutralizing antibody titer against Omicron. However, if you're ready for booster and you didn't take it, you still have a decent, um, you know, titer against Delta. But when you look at the Omicron, the, that titer goes down almost to zero. And yeah. If you, when you actually do take the booster, that titer will be even higher than when you against Omicron would be even higher than when you took that primary series, which kind of pans out in population studies where, um, you know, there is a study again in NEJM that came out of the UK because, you know, that Omicron like really decimated, you know, the population of UK. So they had a lot of data to look at. And what they found is basically this panning out in the real world. So you, when you did get the primary series and they are using Pfizer over there, um, the um, effectiveness, vaccine effectiveness against symptomatic infection uh, in the general population was 65% with the Pfizer primary series. And 
um, it went down to 8% when they were out more than 25 weeks, which when they did get the booster, it went to about 70 to 75% against symptomatic infection. And while we talk about the significant benefit, you know, over 90% benefit against uh, hospitalization and death, that, you know, uh, protection against symptomatic infection is also pretty significant after the boosters. So I would really underline and highlight what Leslie just said. In nursing homes, somehow we think that it is a nice thing to have you know, boosters are a nice thing to have. What I am saying to the nursing home administrators and DONs and staff and residents is, no, it's not just a nice thing to have. It is crucial and critical to have to save your patients, to save your residents and to keep them from having infection and then keep them from getting hospitalized even if they did have infection. So it's a critical thing to have. It's not just a nice to have. The one more thing, Diane, that I would say is how we have been messaging this uh, from a both a resident and staff perspective is if your residents are up to date vaccinated, then you do have, you know, for administrators, they care about not just keeping the residents safe, of course they care about that, but they also care about the operations. And when you take an admission, you know, according to CDC guidance and CMS, QSO, you have to quarantine that person if they are not up-to-date vaccinated. They cannot come into general population they cannot be in a double room. They have to be alone in a single room. And what does, what does that do? They, that affects the kind of therapy, the quality of therapy that they, they can get, their social isolation, but it also affects the operations and the census of your building. So, you know, that is the other aspect that I try to talk to our administrators and our nursing home folks about is it seriously affects your operations as well. That's good to that's that's those are all um wonderful and great points. I guess what I'm wondering is you have let's say you have a person who is on the staff and they they've done, you know, they've they've been vaccinated, they've been boosted um with one booster and they're following it in the criteria for that second booster, but in the interim they had the Omicron variant and now they are stating that, well, I have immunity. How do you yeah. um, speak to that person? Uh, I'm happy to answer that question. You know, we have seen, unfortunately, that people who had early Omicron infections, that infection has not been protective for the later Omicron variants, the BA4, the BA5. You really don't get a lot of bang for your buck. And so if you're eligible for that second booster vaccination, that's your insurance card. That's going to make the difference. Now we're seeing people that don't only get uh, reinfection, you know, once or twice, but people are getting it three and four times. We also know that with every reinfection, your risk of long COVID goes up. So that second booster not only can protect you now, but can protect your future life. 
And so boostering is so crucial for all of those reasons. Thank you. And I know we, yeah, we touched upon that at the beginning. I just wanted to, to reiterate that because we, we, we get those questions. It feels like on a daily basis, if not multiple <laughs> times to the same day. And you, um, Leslie, you just touched on um, one of my favorite topics. And I know I probably have bored uh, Swati to death with my conversations around law COVID, but explain to us what the benefits of being vaccinated and boosted um, again with um, the long COVID from what the data is showing us. Oh, yeah, it's, you know, getting more and more compelling. So we've had several studies out right now, and even one that was just published actually a couple of hours ago, again, showing these similar ideas that when you get boosted, you decrease your risk of long COVID substantially from 30% to 17%. That's a big difference. And long COVID is, you know, for everyone, but especially for folks who are young, that is a, you know, a devastating I, diagnosis. And we don't wish it upon anybody. And you can do something about it. So when we get boosted, you decrease your risk of long COVID, you increase your risk of a happy, healthy life. So, you know, the COVID vaccines are easily accessible, they're free. Uh, it's a no brainer to get your booster. Yeah, and I, and I know, um, I know Swati, you're, you're doing a lot of talks with, uh, with the QIOs about the, the, the necessity for um, boost, being boosted and vaccinated. Are you um, seeing those questions or having those conversations around uh, for, with staff about long COVID as well? Absolutely. I think, you know, that is something that we all, you know, worry about because uh, while people have that, by and large, the data does suggest that people who are younger and, you know, are healthier will probably be okay with Omicron after, you know, um, generally it has been you know, a milder illness, which I would actually remind everyone that the total number of deaths that peaked were actually higher during Omicron time than um, Delta. So it's somewhat of a, you know, misconception, but I uh, would say that people who think that being younger and in, uh, you know, reasonably good health is somewhat of an insurance against having, you know, significant hospitalization episode or death, you still worry about long COVID syndrome. And we have seen our staff, some of our staff members who are still having issues with musculoskeletal effects and other effects of long COVID. Um, and I think, you know, that is something that is that matters to our staff. So this is very, very important. Um, and I'm sure that any reasonable, I think, you know, as long-term care physicians or any physicians at this time, we have to keep our, you know, um, antenna, um, you know, up for those long COVID syndromes, because sometimes um, if you don't think it, you don't diagnose it, but it is more prevalent than we ever thought it was. Um, so certainly that, and I would highlight uh, the, the point that, you know, from other parts of the world have had, um, you know, um, outbreaks of um, uh, BA4 and BA5. Currently, BA5 is the primary, you know, more than 50% variant that is circulating in the United States. And what we have seen 
from you know other um, areas of the world who have suffered through this is there is a trend where BA4 and BA5 is escaping the natural immunity and is you know much more um, you know and so the vaccines are even more important while this uh, va uh, you know variant is circulating so there is a sense of certain urgency that we should have in giving these boosters. Let me ask, and um, I promise my last soapbox moment, let me have the soapbox moment for one minute with long COVID <laughs> and um, just state to anyone who's listening, if to Swati and both Leslie's comments, if you think it, you should have a high suspicion for this, not only amongst the staff, but amongst the residents. I think we are not thinking about long COVID enough. And uh, the there is a long co uh, a code for post COVID conditions that we can use for both um, for both any complications following COVID or if you are seeing those persistent symptoms. It's a U zero nine point nine code and you use that in addition to that symptomatic code that they may be experiencing. Um, you can find many of my soapbox moments, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but getting away from that soapbox, let me ask this. The fall is coming. We are already within the Omicron lineage. We are like, we're at BA 5.5. What happens when um, we see another variant? Uh, what, what should we be preparing for come the fall in regards to um, vaccinations, boosters, and uh, anticipating infections? You know, um, I'm happy to take this one. I, that's the question of the day, of course, is what should we expect? You know, in via history, the fall and the winter are when we see more infections for sure for COVID-19. And I think that we would be foolish to not think that other variants aren't coming. Of course they will. The FDA just had a meeting with their expert Verbach uh, committee. And yesterday they now have asked both Pfizer and Moderna to produce a bivalent vaccine half with the original vaccine and half with an Omicron specific BA4, BA5 component. They'd be combined into one shot. And Pfizer has already you know, started testing such a vaccine in mice and that data looks good. And I think we are going to have to wait for this updated vaccine, but I think it will be enormously helpful. It will be uh, more relevant to what we're seeing right now. And I think though that if we, we will need to wait for this new vaccine, hopefully by mid-October. But until then, we'll be a little bit naked in September. And this is why this booster conversation is so very important. We don't want to see in September or early October, our case loads going up, hospitalizations going up, even deaths going up. We really hope that that's not going to happen. And we can take action now to protect ourselves and our communities and our healthcare system by getting boosted so that we will protect ourselves until this new vaccine is available. And just for folks to be aware, just because you get a booster now, that will have no effect on your eligibility to get this new vaccine. So you're all good. So you can do uh, protect yourself now. And then we look forward to this next vaccine, which we hope will last longer and even be better protection. 
Swati, anything to add? No, I think that, um, you know, Leslie is spot on. I mean, we all, um, you know, heard those comments on Workback Meeting and, um, uh, and it, that is something to look forward to, um, you know, and, but until then, um, protect yourself. And, you know, the data again is so, so compelling that, um, you know, CDC is um, uh, poised to come out with new guidance as well. Um, uh, so look out for that. And of course, we know that, you know, as soon as CDC comes out with the guidance, the CMS uh, will also come out with uh, guidance because they go um, hand in hand. But the reason for the new guidance is, um, and the definitions that have already changed, we alluded to that. The reason for that is that the data is there and we want our uh, residents and our staff protected. Thank you. I'm gonna ask you guys um, one question and if it's weird, or not even a question, it's a request. We have people on the front line, our not only medical directors, but the clinicians in the building. So the attending physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, um, our physical therapists, speech, occupational therapy, um, the social workers, everyone, it, we're all part of the frontline team, the nurses, the CNAs, um, the, the directors of nursing and nursing home administrators. How do we become encouraged to keep having these conversations? Gosh, I think that's the best question I've been asked. <laughs> um, I think we have to support one another and really invest in one another. So I care about my team and my, not only my residents, but the nurses and uh, CNAs and nurse practitioners, PAs, all of my interdisciplinary team that I'm so honored to be a part of. And so it's an opportunity to have each other's back, to really promote some health and to listen and have conversations. How are you doing? It's been a long road. It's been two and a half years. So those relationships and that investment in each other, I think is the key to promoting hope. Yeah, um, you know, this is um, a very timely question, Diane, um, uh, because um, like I said, we are in the Atlanta area seeing that surge of Omicron in the community. And, um, you know, thankfully we have had that relationship with you know um, our staff and um, first of all working as a triad making all these decisions together through these last um, two and a half years um, you know with my administrator and my don we have this um, and my ip as well um, you know the four of us we have kind of worked together as a unit and um, what has happened in and I'm sure that is happening in a lot of facilities is as a medical director you know nothing has crystallized the role of medical director as you know COVID has so as a medical director I am coming in and letting them know you know what has what is new what is, you know, how COVID has evolved. So over a period of time, 
you as a medical director or you as a clinician have become the trusted source of information. And if you have continued it through, so last week, this week, we found out that, you know, we are having the surge. So already I have town hall meetings that are scheduled for the upcoming week. And so that the staff needs to know the why of the what that is being asked of them. And I think that is when the strategy becomes successful and sustainable. So when we go back to N95 masks, even for you know, up-to-date vaccinated staff for source control, they need to understand why we are doing it, how long we anticipate that we are going to do it. So providing that transparency and sharing the same data that I have shared today with the staff so that they know they can have, you know, think through their own critical thinking, why the boosters are so important for not just the residents, but also themselves and their families. And when they actually talk to residents about boosters, they can answer those questions and they can advocate for the residents you know, in a very mindful and evidence-based way. Yeah, I, Swati, I can't agree with you more. I think that the information is empowering and empowering our staff to have the tools that they need to talk with family members and residents and each other. That is a key component to facilitating these discussions. So I want to thank you both. I um, investment, trust, transparency, empowering our our staff. You know, if I had to sum it up, it, I would say, whether in your practice, in the community, in the, your facilities, or in your everyday life, we have to be the north star. And mm -hmm. I thank you both um, for being our north stars in in AMDA. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, Swati, for another great session. Thank it you, Diane. <laughs> it, it is such a pleasure to talk to both of you. It's always fun. And Diane, I just wanted a correction. It's never boring when you talk about long COVID syndrome. It is always <laughs> new information. So thank you for that transparency and that, you know, um, information that you share with us on long COVID syndrome. Yeah, thank I, you. I, I can't agree more. I wrote down the code. So I have <laughs> it at my fingertips. Um, thank you both. Such a pleasure to talk with you both. Um, what an honor. Thank you. Have a great day, everyone, and we'll see you soon. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our learning management system at apex.paltc.org. That's apex.paltc.org. Click on the podcast and follow the link to this episode. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals.